Section 28 of Europe and Elsewhere by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 26 Sold to Satan, 1904. It was at this time that I concluded to sell my soul to Satan. Steel was away down, so was St. Paul. It was the same with all the desirable stocks, in fact, and so, if I did not turn out to be away down myself, now was my time to raise a stake and make my fortune. Without further consideration I sent word to the local agent, Mr. Blank, with description and present condition of the property, and an interview with Satan was promptly arranged, on a basis of two and a half per cent, this commission payable only in case a trade should be consummated. I sat in the dark, waiting and thinking. How still it was! Then came the deep voice of a far-off bell proclaiming midnight. Boom! boom, boom, and I rose to receive my guest, and braced myself for the thunder crash and the brimstone stench which should announce his arrival. But there was no crash, no stench. Through the closed door, and noiseless, came the modern Satan, just as we see him on the stage, tall, slender, graceful in tights and trunks, a short cape mantling his shoulders, a rapier at his side, a single drooping feather in his jaunty cap, and on his intellectual face the well-known and high-bred Mephistophelian smile. But he was not a fire-coal, he was not red, no, on the contrary, he was a softly glowing, richly smoldering torch, column, statue of pallid light, faintly tinted with a spiritual green, and out from him a lunar splendor flowed such as one sees glinting from the crinkled waves of tropic seas when the moon rides high in cloudless skies. He made his customary stage obeisance, resting his left hand upon his sword hilt, and removing his cap with his right, and making that handsome sweep with it which we know so well. Then we sat down. Ah! He was an incandescent glory, a nebular dream, and so much improved by his change of color. He must have seen the admiration in my illuminated face, but he took no notice of it, being long ago used to it in faces of other Christians with whom he had had trade relations. A half-hour of hot toddy and weather chat, mixed with occasional tentative feelers on my part, and rejoinders of 
Well, I could hardly pay that for it, you know, on his. Had much modified my shyness, and put me so much at my ease that I was emboldened to feed my curiosity a little. So I chanced the remark that he was surprisingly different from the traditions, and I wished I knew what it was he was made of. He was not offended, but answered with frank simplicity, Radium. That accounts for it, I exclaimed. It is the loveliest effulgence I have ever seen. The hard and heartless glare of the electric doesn't compare with it. I suppose your majesty weighs about... about... I stand six feet one. Fleshed and blooded I would weigh two hundred and fifteen, but radium, like other metals, is heavy. I weigh nine hundred odd. I gazed hungrily upon him, saying to myself, What riches! What a mine! Nine hundred pounds at, say, three million five hundred thousand dollars a pound would be would be then a treacherous thought burst into my mind he laughed a good hearty laugh and said i perceive your thought and what a handsomely original idea it is to kidnap satan and stock him and incorporate him and water the stock up to ten billions just three times its actual value, and blanket the world with it. My blush had turned the moonlight to a crimson mist, such as veils and spectralizes the domes and towers of Florence at sunset, and makes the spectator drunk with joy to see. And he pitied me, and dropped his tone of irony, and assumed a grave and reflective one which had a pleasanter sound for me, and under its kindly influence my pains were presently healed, and I thanked him for his courtesy. Then he said, One good turn deserves another, and I will pay you a compliment. Do you know? I have been trading with your poor pathetic race for ages, and you are the first person who has ever been intelligent enough to divine the large commercial value of my make-up. I purred to myself and looked as modest as I could. Yes, you are the first, he continued, all through the Middle Ages I used to buy Christian souls at fancy rates, building bridges and cathedrals in a single night in return, and getting swindled out of my Christian nearly every time that I dealt with a priest, as history will concede, but making it up on the lay square dealer now and then, as I admit but none of those people ever guessed where the real big money lay. You are the first. 
I refilled his glass and gave him another cavour. But he was experienced by this time. He inspected the cigar pensively a while. Then, "'What do you pay for these?' he asked. Two cents. But they come cheaper when you take a barrel.' He went on inspecting, also mumbling comments, apparently to himself. "'Black, rough-skinned, rumpled, irregular, wrinkled, barky, with crispy, curled-up places on it, burnt leather aspect, like the shoes of the damned that sit in pairs before the room-doors at home of a Sunday morning.' He sighed at thought of his home, and was silent a moment. Then he said gently, "'Tell me about this projectile.' "'It is the discovery of a great Italian statesman,' I said, Cavour. One day he lit his cigar, then laid it down and went on writing and forgot it. It lay in a pool of ink.' and got soaked. By and by he noticed it, and laid it on the stove to dry. When it was dry he lit it, and at once noticed that it didn't taste the same as it did before, and so... Did he say what it tasted like before? No, I think not. But he called the government chemist, and told him to find out the source of that new taste and report. The chemist applied the tests and reported that the source was the presence of sulfate of iron, touched up and spiritualized with vinegar, the combination of which one makes ink. Cavour told him to introduce the brand in the interest of the finances. So, ever since then, this brand passes through the ink factory, with the great result that both the ink and the cigar suffer a sea change into something new and strange. This is history, sire, not a work of the imagination. So then he took up his present again, and touched it to the forefinger of his other hand for an instant, which made it break into flame and fragrance. But he changed his mind at that point, and laid the torpedo down, saying courteously, With permission, I will save it for Voltaire. I was greatly pleased and flattered to be connected in even this little way with that great man, and be mentioned to him, as no doubt would be the case, so I hastened to fetch a bundle of fifty for distribution among others of the renowned and lamented. Goethe and Homer and Socrates and Confucius and so on, but Satan said he had nothing against those. Then he dropped back into reminiscences of the old times once more, and presently said, they knew nothing about radium, and it would have had no value for them if they had known about it. In twenty million years it has had no value for your race 
until the revolutionizing steam and machinery age was born, which was only a few years before you were born yourself. It was a stunning little century, for sure, that nineteenth, but it's a poor thing compared to what the twentieth is going to be. By request, he explained why he thought so. Because power was so costly then, and everything goes by power, the steamship, the locomotive, and everything else. Coal, you see, you have to have it. No steam and no electricity without it. And it's such a waste, for you burn it up and it's gone. But radium, <laughs> that's another matter. With my nine hundred pounds you could light the world and heat it and run all its ships and machines and railways a hundred million years and not use up five pounds of it in the whole time. And then, quick, my soul is yours, dear ancestor, take it, we'll start a company. But he asked my age, which is sixty-eight, then politely sidetracked the proposition, probably not wishing to take advantage of himself. Then he went on talking admiringly of radium, and how with its own natural and inherent heat it could go on melting its own weight of ice twenty-four times in twenty-four hours, and keep it up forever, without losing bulk or weight, and how a pound of it, if exposed in this room, would blast the place like a breath from hell and burn me to a crisp in a quarter of a minute and was going on like that, but I interrupted and said, But you are here, Majesty, nine hundred pounds, and the temperature is balmy and pleasant. I don't understand. Well, he said hesitatingly, it is a secret, but I may as well reveal it, for these prying and impertinent chemists are going to find it out some time or other anyway. Perhaps you have read what Madame Curie says about radium, how she goes searching among its splendid secrets and seizes upon one after another of them, and italicizes its specialty, how she says the compounds of radium are spontaneously luminous require no coal in the production of light, you see. How, she says, a glass vessel containing radium spontaneously charges itself with electricity. No coal or water power required to generate it, you see. How, she says, radium possesses the remarkable property of liberating heat spontaneously and continuously. No coal required to fire up on the world's machinery, you see. She ransacks the pitch-blend for its radioactive substances, and captures three and labels them. One, which is embodied with bismuth, she named polonium. One, which is embodied with barium, she names radium. The name given to the third was actinium. 
Now listen. She says, The question now was to separate the polonium from the bismuth. This is the task that has occupied us for years and has been a most difficult one. For years, you see, for years. That is their way, those plagues, those scientists. Peg, 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 dig, 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 plod, plod, plod. I wish I could catch a cargo of them for my place. It would be an economy. Yes, for years, you see. They never give up. Patience, hope, faith, perseverance. It is the way of all the breed, Columbus and the rest. In radium this lady has added a new world to the planet's possessions and matched Columbus and his peer. She has set herself the task of divorcing polonium and bismuth. When she succeeds, she will have done what, should you say? Pray name it, Majesty. It's another new world added, a gigantic one. I will explain, for you would never divine the size of it, and she herself does not suspect it. Do, Majesty, I beg of you. Polonium freed from bismuth, and made independent, is the one and only power that can control radium, restrain its destructive forces, tame them, reduce them to obedience, and make them do useful and profitable work for your race. Examine my skin. What do you think of it? Well, it is delicate, silky, transparent, thin as a gelatin film, exquisite, beautiful majesty. It is made of polonium. All the rest of me is radium. If I should strip off my skin, the world would vanish away in a flash of flame and a puff of smoke and the remnants of the extinguished moon would sift down through space a mere snow-shower of gray ashes. I made no comment. I only trembled. You understand now, he continued. I burn. I suffer within. My pains are measureless and eternal. But my skin protects you and the globe from harm. Heat is power, energy, but is only useful to man when he can control it and graduate its application to his needs. You cannot do that with radium now. It will not be prodigiously useful to you until polonium shall put the slave whip in your hand. I can release from my body the radium force in any measure I please, great or small. At my will, I can set in motion the works of a lady's watch, or destroy a world. You saw me light that unholy cigar with my finger? I remembered it. Try to imagine how minute was the fraction of energy released to do that small thing. You are aware that everything is made up of restless and revolving molecules. Everything—furniture, rocks, water, iron horses, men, everything that exists. Yes, molecules of scores of different sizes and weights, but none of them big enough to be seen by help of any microscope. 
Yes. And that each molecule is made up of thousands of separate and never-resting little particles called atoms? Yes. And that up to recent times the smallest atom known to science was the hydrogen atom, which was a thousand times smaller than the atom that went to the building of any other molecule? Yes. Well, the radium atom from the positive pole is five thousand times smaller than that atom. This unspeakably minute atom is called an electron. Now then, out of my long affection for you and for your lineage, I will reveal to you a secret, a secret known to no scientist as yet, the secret of the firefly's light and the glow-worms. It is produced by a single electron imprisoned in a polonium atom. Sire, it is a wonderful thing, and the scientific world would be grateful to know this secret, which has baffled and defeated all its searchings for more than two centuries. To think a single electron, five thousand times smaller than the invisible hydrogen atom, to produce that explosion of vivid light which makes the summer night so beautiful. And consider, said Satan, it is the only instance in all nature where radium exists in a pure state unencumbered by fettering alliances, where polonium enjoys the like emancipation, and where the pair are enabled to labor together in a gracious and beneficent and effective partnership. Suppose the protecting polonium envelope were removed, the radium spark would flash but once, and the firefly would be consumed to vapor. Do you value this old iron letter press? No, Majesty, for it is not mine. Then I will destroy it and let you see. I lit the ostensible cigar with the heat energy of a single electron, the equipment of a single lightning bug. I will turn on twenty thousand electrons now. He touched the massive thing, and it exploded with a cannon crash, leaving nothing but vacancy where it had stood. For three minutes the air was a dense pink fog of sparks, through which Satan loomed dim and vague. Then the place cleared, and his soft, rich moonlight pervaded it again. He said, You see? The radium in twenty thousand lightning bugs would run a racing mobile forever. There's no waste, no diminution of it. Then he remarked in a quite casual way, We use nothing but radium at home. I was astonished, and interested, too, for I have friends there, and relatives. I had always believed, in accordance with my early teachings, that the fuel was soft coal and brimstone. He noticed the thought and answered it. Soft coal and brimstone is the tradition, yes, but it is an error. We could use it, at least. We could make out with it after a fashion, but it has several defects. It is not cleanly. It ordinarily makes but a temperate fire, and it would be exceedingly difficult, if even possible, 
to heat it up to standard, Sundays. And as for the supply, all the worlds and systems could not furnish enough to keep us going halfway through eternity. Without radium, there could be no hell, certainly not a satisfactory one. Why? Because if we hadn't radium, we should have to dress the souls in some other material. Then, of course, they would burn up and get out of trouble. They would not last an hour. You know that? Why, yes, now that you mention it, but I supposed they were dressed in their natural flesh. They look so in the pictures, in the Sistine Chapel, and in the illustrated books, you know. Yes, our damned look as they looked in the world, but it isn't flesh. Flesh could not survive any longer than that copying press survived. It would explode and turn to a fog of sparks, and the result desired in sending it there would be defeated. Believe me, radium is the only wear. I see it now, I said, with prophetic discomfort. I know that you are right, Majesty. Oh, I am. I speak from experience. You shall see when you get there. He said this as if he thought I was eaten up with curiosity, but it was because he did not know me. He sat reflecting a minute, then he said, I will make your fortune. It cheered me up, and I felt better. I thanked him, and was all eagerness and attention. Do you know, he continued, where they find the bones of the extinct moa in New Zealand? All in a pile, thousands and thousands of them banked together in a mass twenty feet deep. And do you know where they find the tusks of the extinct mastodons of the Pleistocene? Banked together in acres off the mouth of the Lena, an ivory mine which has furnished freight for Chinese caravans for five hundred years. Do you know the phosphate beds of our south? They are miles in extent, a limitless mass and jumble of bones of vast animals whose like exists no longer in the earth. A cemetery, a mighty cemetery, that is what it is. All over the earth there are such cemeteries. Whence came the extinct that made those families of creatures go to a chosen and particular spot to die when sickness came upon them, and they perceived that their end was near? It is a mystery. Not even science has been able to uncover the secret of it. But there stands the fact. Listen, then. For a million years there has been a firefly cemetery. Hopefully, appealingly, I opened my mouth. He motioned me to close it, and went on. It is in a scooped-out bowl half as big as this room on the top of a snow-summit of the Cordilleras. That bowl is level full of what? Pure firefly radium, and the glow and the heat of hell? For countless ages myriads of fireflies have daily flown thither and died in that bowl and been burned to vapor in an instant, each fly leaving as its contribution its only indestructible particle, its single electron of pure radium. There is energy enough there to light the whole world, 
heat the whole world's machinery, supply the whole world's transportation power from now till the end of eternity. The massed riches of the planet could not furnish its value in money. You are mine. It is yours. When Madame Curie isolates polonium, clothe yourself in a skin of it and go and take possession. Then he vanished and left me in the dark when I was just in the act of thanking him. I can find the bowl by the light it will cast upon the sky. I can get the polonium presently when that illustrious lady in France isolates it from the bismuth. Stock is for sale. Apply to Mark Twain. End of chapter 26. Sold to Satan. Read by John Greenman.